electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. Coming up on Fast, shares of Peloton sprinting higher today on the yields of a new street-high price target. We'll break down what's next for the stock and a mega deal in the energy sector. But this just the major start of consolidation in big oil. We will look at some of the most likely targets. And later, the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, Paul Rabel, which holds its first game back this weekend. We'll get his thoughts on restarting sports during this pandemic. But we start off with tech back on top. The sector rallying more than 2.5% today. And the Nasdaq posting a record close on the heels of positive coronavirus vaccine news. But the real head-scratcher here, why are all the reopening trades down? Check out the airlines group losing altitude here. And yes, the cruise stocks also battling some rocky seas with major losses across the board. And lastly, check out casino names. You think they would rally in the back of uh, the good coronavirus vaccine news, but nope, nope, we're sea of red. So what's with the breakdown between positive vaccine data and these trades? Tim, we're back to the old playbook here in the market, Tim. <laughs> And, and, yeah, we, we had a week off. We, S&P had some nice outperformance. Actually, S&P outperformed Amazon by about 8% in a week. Boy, look at that turnaround today. Look at that move by Amazon. Uh, some big upgrades on the street. Maybe it's catch-up. In some cases, they've actually taken stocks really just to catch up to the levels. But I think 3200 on Amazon by Goldman. Uh, Credit Suisse upgrades. Gold, uh, uh, Alphabet shares. So there, there are different things going on. As good as the potential vaccine news flow could be. I, I do think that the reopening trade is, is moving in reverse. There are states that arguably have, have you know, kind of lost control. So uh, I, I think consumers are assessing, but more importantly, investors are assessing what consumers uh, may or may not feel comfortable doing in terms of going back and getting on airplanes and getting involved in, in some of these uh, uh, hospitality type experiences. And, and meanwhile, uh, mega cap tech appears that the trends of COVID-19, uh, the new normal, as much as I hate using that term, is probably one you don't want to fade that trade. And, and, and whether it's cloud, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's some of the things that, that are recurring revenue streams that are changing the way we spend time at home, whether it's nesting, uh, it's hard to see how these trades, despite the fact that they are very, very rich in the tooth, um, are changing based upon the news flow. Mm -hmm. A vaccine tomorrow doesn't mean people are going to go out and take that vaccine. Uh, that's the sense I have. Uh, and therefore, it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing that divergence today. You see, once upon a time, that vaccine news would have meant in the market that you do go out and do everything that you used to do, like yep. go on the buffet line of the cruise ship after you see a movie and after you take a flight, BK. And then all of a sudden, fast forward like a week and that, that doesn't hold up anymore. What, what's going on? Yeah, just, just to be clear, BK's never been on the buffet at a cruise ship, and he doesn't plan on going during the COVID uh, epidemic or pandemic we're having. Um, but that being said, I mean, I think a lot of the rally from the March lows was this huge anticipation that you've got all these resources headed towards finding a vaccine. You know, this was very positive news today, but it was telegraphed a bit. We knew there was some good stuff coming out. You know, Dr. Fauci talked about it last week. Other people talk, talked about hinting that there was going to be some positive news out there on these vaccines. So now you think about it and you say, 
okay, well, when is it realistic that we're going to manufacture a vaccine and get herd immunity via vaccine? You know, if it's January 2021 that we get the vaccine into production, it's probably another six months or so before you get everybody vaccinated if they take the vaccination. So now you're looking mid, you know, Q3 2021 on earnings and how many companies can sustain that. So I think that's why the crews and the airlines did not rally based on this positive vaccine news. But does this mean, Karen, that... Uh, the bid that we saw last week, for instance, in transports and industrials, but that's over? Or do you continue with that, with that sort of uh, move in the markets? I, I, I'm a little bit afraid it might be over unless we see something from Congress that, you know, we see some kind of infrastructure uh, spending bill. That would obviously be huge. I don't think at the moment that's right on the front burner. But I think something also that I agree with Brian and Tim that something Tim touched on was some of these changes might be more permanent. So when you look at all right, what's sold off today, obviously airlines, but when you look at office REITs and mall REITs, things like that, those are selling off. And, you know, I don't know that a vaccine sort of cures the problem for office REITs. Maybe we have a, a, a secular change and, um, and, and it's more permanent rather. So. I'm a little bit concerned there. The other thing is this tech trade. I mean, I love Alphabet being up, but at some point, you know, it's probably gone too far. Whether that's right here, I don't know. I don't have a better alternative on what to do if I were to sell Alphabet. I don't have a better alternative, so I'm not going to sell it. But um, I am getting a little bit of vertigo with uh, how some of these things traded today. And, and yet a couple, as Tim had alluded to, a couple of analysts on the street don't have vertigo when it comes to Amazon. I mean, $3,800 price target from Goldman Sachs and Jefferies, which implies a 28 percent upside um, from the previous closing price, Dan. You know, Goldman's case is sort of what Karen was talking about. The shift to online, some of that may be forever. Yeah, so just like there's going to be scar tissue on a lot of these hospitality names, obviously the acceleration of these trends for a company like Amazon is massive. And let me just tell you something. The stock topped out a week and a half ago at 3200 so slapping a $3,800 target on it, you know, it's not particularly monumental, especially the way the stock is trading, especially the way the investors are focused on this area. And there's very few pure plays that have the sort of moats that Amazon have. But that doesn't mean it's not a mania. And when you look at this sort of price action in such a short period of time, since when did anal- or did since when did investors really care about price target bumps in, in stocks like this. So, you know, to me, I, I don't find panic buying like this particularly healthy, especially um, if you want to call it defensive in these MAGA names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Um, it's getting a bit crowded. If you looked at the equal weight QQQ, the NASDAQ 100 ETF, it nearly doubled the performance, uh, or it was a half the performance of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the weighted one. So that is getting a little tipsy-topsy here. Um, you know, obviously, we could talk about Tesla later, but look at that stock, the way it ramped midday. There's some goofy stuff going on here. I'm not certain when you think about the underperformance back again in the Russell 2000, in the industrials, in the energy stocks, in the retail stocks, um, in the transports or tra- transportation stocks, that this is particularly healthy action. Um, you know, it's just not. Healthy, but if you have no alternative, Brian Kelly then maybe you go for the goofy at this point in time with the Fed's backing. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, listen, the, the NASDAQ and particularly stocks like Tesla and whatnot, as much as I, I have liked Tesla over the years, 
Um, you know, this reminds me very much of how the Bitcoin market traded in late 17. You had a ton of retail flow coming in. Every day just BK, kept getting better and better on. and better. You're comparing our trading right now to the I massive, giant, inflated bubble that Bitcoin was. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, we can argue about the term inflated, but this is what a top looks like. This is what happens. You get retail coming in. They buy it indiscriminately. The problem is it can last forever, but it's, it's exactly to put a Bitcoin chart up and put a Tesla chart up. They look exactly the same. It doesn't matter what the asset class is. And, and let's be clear, this is inflated and this is a bubble in stocks right now caused by stimulus, the Federal Reserve, all those things we can talk about. But make no mistake, this is an inflated bubble we are in. Uh, we've got an earnings alert on IBM for you right now. IBM's uh, trading higher in the aftermarket session. Deidre Bose has got all the de- details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, given the recurring revenue and tying to discretionary IT spending, analysts, they were predicting a huge shock from COVID-19. Uh, some even thought that guidance could be reinstated. That did not happen, however. And despite this being the first full quarter since the onset of the pandemic, there's really no commentary in the release on the COVID impact on the business. However, we are listening. I just put down my AirPod closely to what CEO Arvind Krishna says on the call, which just kicked off about five minutes ago. He said that there are short-term challenges, but also long-term opportunities as clients accelerate their shift uh, to hybrid cloud and AI amid the pandemic. He also said that there's an increased opportunity for IBM for larger projects, but that's going to take time to shape and close. Now, this is notable. He also said that IBM is feeling the impact of posterity measures that companies have put in place to conserve cash. So that may be why you saw share price in the after hours come down a little bit. They were as high as about 8% right after that release. Um, Now, so all in all, a decent quarter, but I think analysts would suggest waiting a few quarters before getting too optimistic on this company, uh, because of course we've been here before, but the company needs to do more to prove those turnaround plans are actually happening. And remember, this was the eighth straight quarter of flat or negative revenue growth. Uh, So there is still some ways to go. But cloud was a bright spot, and that's what Krishna is talking about right now. Uh, Revenue grew 30% year over year. The company says that it now makes up a third of total sales. Now, if IBM can hold on to these gains of about 4.5%, it could be almost flat on the year when the market opens tomorrow. Um, Back over to you, Melissa. Thank you, Deidre. Deidre Bosa. Yay, flat for the year for a tech stock. Um, Tim Seymour, you know, some of the elements of the beat for IBM (laughs) give investors some hope that maybe this turnaround plan is on track when it comes to, as Deidre mentioned, cloud, as well as the Red Hat Hat division. Yeah, I'm not sure we're ready to to throw this into Dan's uh, MAGA and and make it MIAGA. Um, But I, I think with IBM, you have a case here where if you look at their hybrid cloud, uh, adjusted 34% up year over year. They, they've actually come through some difficult comps, which include the, the anniversary of Red Hat and, and just some cost cutting. And I think this is a pretty good number. I mean, their, their GTS uh, business is you know, up you know, about 30%. Their, their software business, which is still about 30% of their business, is doing fine. 
Um, so I, I think in an environment where we wanted to see IBM pivot, we'd like to see that top line growth. But if there was any growth, uh, I think this thing would have moved a lot higher. So the valuation's not difficult. They pay a 5% plus dividend yield, which seems extraordinary. And that's not a reason to buy this stock. But, but at a time when uh, cloud and the tailwind in the space, the gross margin was up 160 basis points. This was a good quarter for IBM. And there have been big moves throughout mega cap tech. Why not IBM now? Karen, is this a value play you could get behind? Yeah, I think so, actually. I mean, I thought that I agree with Tim. I didn't think I thought the quarter was decent, given where we are. I mean, cloud obviously is, is a positive. Did I lose you? No, you're there. You're here. <laughs> we might have lost Karen. So, Dan, what do you what did you make of IBM? I. I know what she was going to say. It's not really? a value trap just yet. I mean, here, here, you know, listen, here's the issue, right? So you have a new CEO. We know where he comes from. We know what the focus is. We know that this company long suffered under um, a very weak plan to transition um, at a time when all of its competitors were doing. So you have 30% of their revenues that are growing 30% um, a year. That's fantastic with a new focus. The problem is that you have these legacy products that are not growing and they're just going to continue to shrink. They have a massive pile of debt. Tim just that's close to 70 billion dollars. So you're going to need some serious margin margin expansion, market share gain to be able to pay down that debt. I mean 70 billion on a 112 billion dollar market cap seems like a real problem to me. So it's not really going to be a growth name overall and I just don't know. You know, if you want to pay 12 times for a tech stock that's got some good levers, I would say that's probably Cisco, Intel or Micron, not I all right, let's take a look at what we can expect from some other big names reporting this week. Carter Braxton Worth is looking at one name that he says you should buy into earnings, one that you should sell. Carter, what say you? Well, there are a lot of good ones, but before we get to the charts, I mean, just to put the IBM in perspective, at $112 billion market cap, the implied move from Apple is about 5%. Were Apple to go up 5%, it's the equivalent of IBM being wiped out. Zero. Has almost no impact on the S&P. Uh, sort of tragic, but there we have it. In any event, a few charts. Sherwin-Williams, uh, first chart. This is a conventional buy juncture. Everyone, a convention, generally agreed upon as a stock that's toying with the prospects of breaking out is a stock to be bought. We see how a PayPal breaks out. Uh, we saw how Facebook or Amazon. And so while this is not a tech stock, it is a well-defined juncture, and you can see the lines drawn there. The presumption is an earnings beat will cause the breakout. So here at the 600 plus minus level, we think this has got a good uh, 8 to 10% move coming. By contradistinction, look at Coke, next chart. This is an unhappy situation. I mean, down 1.5% today, uh, a big up day for the market. And Coke is working its way into the uh, apex of whether you call it a wedge or a triangle, it doesn't matter. What it means is decision time. It's often fundamentals that resolve the pattern, just as it's likely to be a breakout that resolves Sherwin. In this case, it's likely, I think, to be an earnings miss or something that's not welcomed that would cause it to break down. So Coke, don't like it. Now, just for fun, two more charts. Here is a comparative chart. Take a look at uh, both Sherwin and um, Coke over the past uh, year and a half. And it's not to say that what is obvious, Sherwin is outperforming Coke. What we know is the following. Look at the final chart. Now, what we've got here is the same chart, but we've included the S&P 500, the flat line, and held it as a constant. So this really exposes the actual relative performance of Coke. Coke is literally week after week, month after month, plumbing new lows. Not good. 
Sherwin-Ware buyer, Coke were a seller. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth, Cornerstone Macro. Um, Brian Kelly, do you agree with Carter? Yes. You know what? I do, particularly on Sherwin. If you think about what we've talked about uh, at the top of the show here, where some of the changes that you're seeing in society are going to be permanent. People are saying, hey, I'm going to be spending more time at home. Maybe I should paint that spare room and make it into an office. And that's where Sherwin-Williams comes in. Secondarily, if you think about the psychology of a breakout to new highs, you know, Everybody who owns the stock has a profit now. So you don't have any overhang supply. You know, so there's, there's usually when they do break out like that, they tend to trend pretty well. So I like that on the long side. You know, Coke looks horrible. That's just as simple as that. Uh, it might get a tailwind from a weak dollar, but why not just put your money where the momentum is and go with Sherwin? I feel like Dan and Tim have had dust-ups about Coca-Cola in the past. Dan calling it uh, the purveyor of sugar water. Have at it if you want to be in it. Uh, Tim, are you still an investor? (laughs) Well, look, I mean, Paul Rabel's coming on the show later, so there'll be no no yard sales until then. But but I I think with with, with Coke, you have a case where... You know, the, the, the restaurant story is, is a very, very difficult story. So uh, casual dining, et cetera, uh, this, Coke's going to struggle till we get more clarity there. Having said that, uh, Cl- Coke has been in transition for years. This isn't uh, your father's Coca-Cola. It, it's certainly their focus and what type of uh, core products. It's not about carbonated soft drinks. It's about vitamin water. It's about other drinks. It's about water. Um, so I, I think they, they've, they've refranchised. They've dealt with their bottlers. I think the balance sheet looks great. It's a stock I want to own in this environment. I get where the headwinds are, but I'm not running for cover now. All right, coming up, Peloton shares spinning higher today. Do our traders think you should saddle into this name? Will there be some resistance ahead? We'll debate that trade next. Plus, more news in the race for a coronavirus vaccine. Positive results, but didn't seem to help AstraZeneca stock, at least today. What gives? We'll have the full report later on. We're back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla topping the tape today, rising nearly 9.5% to notching a record close. Uh, reports that the company is aiming for delivery is to hit an all-time high in this current quarter. The company reports Q2 results on Wednesday. Wedbush, uh, which has been bullish on the stock, has also said that inclusion in the S&P 500 is pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. Uh, Dan, what, what do you make? Well, I don't know. BK called this the Bitcoin bubble. I don't know what you make of it. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, it, it's trading like it's going into something. Uh, you know, maybe it's uh, heaven, uh, you know, at this point. <laughs> I, I think it seems that the foregone conclusion about um, it going to the S&P 500 could end up being a somewhat binary trade. I think that there's criteria that on a gap basis, um, net income has to be positive um, in a sum for the prior four quarters and the last quarter. So right now, there's expected net income loss on a gap basis in the quarter. If they don't come in there, then maybe they don't get out of this quarter. So then you have a situation where a lot of people were buying it in anticipation of that. You could have indexers buying it in anticipation of that. I mean, the stock act 
you know, it, it, it's just something that, you know, we're all, we don't know what to do with. Um, it's a great story. They pulled forward a whole heck of a lot of enthusiasm about their product. So, um, you know, I think this could end up being a binary event. The implied move in the options market is about 11.5%. It's moved on average about 13% the day after earnings over the last four quarters. I mean, this move is, is unbelievable. Um, I was going to use another word, but I think unbelievable fits it. Uh, just the notion of inclusion, the S&P 500, right? I mean, $4.5 trillion indexed to the S&P 500. So conceivably, that's a lot of money that has to chase Tesla at some point in time if, if it is included, Karen. But can you wrap your head around the way the stock has moved, even if we knew that it was going to be included? Right. I mean, no, it's, it's really hard to fathom. It wasn't that long ago we were really talking about how, you know, the balance sheet was really potentially a gigantic obstacle for them. And obviously that's not the case anymore. So this, this levitation, I mean, I don't know. I would never buy a stock because I think it's going to be included on the S&P, in the S&P 500. Because <laughs> I don't know how much, how much of the last, I don't know, several hundred points up is already, is that trade, front running that trade? I don't know. But I, I just, I mean, you know, good for Ark uh, and Kathy Wood. She's been right all along in this. But, I mean, this last several hundred points just seem to just levitate in, I don't know, magic, magic. I would imagine all the shorts are out at this point, or, or I hope for their sake that the shorts are out at this point. <laughs> Tim, I mean, at what point did you give up on that? And would you, would you take a look at this chart? And incorporating what BK said about comparing it to the Bitcoin bubble, which ended very badly, would you short it here? You know what? I, I think you play with options. Fortunately, I've been out of that short mail for twelve hundred dollars, or thirteen, or eleven, or something in there. But the the point is that the 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 story around the fundamentals here, and you mentioned the short interest. It, it's look, it's way down. Um, it's still probably about a seven percent short interest stock, but it's nowhere near that story. Uh, some of this is liquidity flow. Some of this is, you know, I was reading Piper's note from last week, which is a thoughtful note, but it's a, it's a thoughtful note that says, you know, we could justify $2,300 a share when we talk about a 90% margin on a software package that would be part of, of a purchase package for, for customers. In other words, there's all these different uh, ways you can adjust a DCF, and most of, these, most of these price targets are DCF. And to me, DCFs are throwing darts. But, you know, look, fortunately, I stopped throwing darts on this thing a long time ago. Um, I think you play this with options. And I do think that there's times where you've seen this type of a move. And it is like it's much like the rest of the stock market. Actually, Tesla's move is 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 at the extremes. But this isn't a lot different than Square. This isn't a lot different than other mega cap tech companies that are seeing massive liquidity. But but you can try to defend this valuation. I don't think you truly can. But um, that's where we are. Maybe it's kind of like Peloton. (laughs) Shares of Peloton riding higher today after getting a new street high price target of $84 by Goldman Sachs. Analysts behind the bullish call saying Peloton's low penetration in the broader fitness market combined with a rise in subscribers make the stock a buy. Shares of Peloton are up nearly 130% so far this year. Wedbush also had a bullish note on this stock out today saying that the social media engagement metrics on Facebook, Instagram, you know, you name it, they're off the charts. They're in uncharted territory at this point. The comps uh, to last Q2 are easy, BK. Is this the next Bitcoin bubble, too? <laughs> I knew that would raise an eyebrow. I knew that, I knew that would work. Uh, you know, listen, as much as I, 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 I like the story behind Peloton, 
any asset that's up 130% in a year, particularly when it's a stock, you have to think about, okay, what's the valuation here? And they're not exactly cheap products that they're selling. I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars. So eventually you run out of people who can spend three, $4,000 on a bicycle that sits inside. I, maybe it's got some more to go. But listen, if you're <laughs> lucky enough to be in this thing, why not take some off the table? But the high margin product is the software, Karen. And so if you don't need to yeah. sell the, uh, the low margin hardware, so to speak, and you sell the high margin software to people, maybe that's when the real juice is, is found for Peloton. Right. I mean, that, yeah, that's a good model. Although I don't know how, I mean, the, mar, the bike has to be lower margin, but maybe it's not low margin. The, those bikes mm -hmm. are expensive, but it is a really sort of a committed group. Uh, I know you like to ride your Peloton. I, I just, I, I looked at the Goldman piece. It looked like they were sort of pulling forward the next year that, that sales are going to be a little bit front end loaded this year and next year and then slow down. Um, I mean, I, I, I find myself often saying I love the product but not the stock. Some of those stocks I definitely should have owned, like a Netflix, um, but this one I can't own either. All right. Coming up, the World Health Organization praising the latest batch of coronavirus vaccine data as good news. So how close are we? What pharma names should be on your radar here? we got the details ahead. Plus, it's been a bumpy ride for airline investors and options traders see more turbulence ahead. There's a hard landing in store for this name. Can we get any more puns or metaphors in the seas? No, we can't. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're taking a look at a live shot of the latest SpaceX launch. It's Falcon 9 rocket carrying a communication satellite for the South Korean military. Takeoff is about to happen. Um, and we'll keep you updated on anything that happens there. Welcome back to Fast. Another step forward in the race for coronavirus vaccine as an early trial shows positive results. Or Meg Terrell joins us with the details. Hey, Meg. Hey, Melissa, this, these were highly anticipated results from Oxford University and AstraZeneca's vaccine. A phase one, two study of more than a thousand participants was run in the UK. Uh, it showed that the vaccine elicited immune responses, both in terms of neutralizing antibodies and T cells, did show some side effects like injection site pain, headache and fatigue. However, even though this was run in more than a thousand participants, experts are pointing out that we really only saw data 
on a few dozen uh, participants in terms of the neutralizing antibody data. 35 participants are all that they had run those tests on, and 10 participants who had received two doses, which it will look like they will need to go into these later stage studies to get that immune response. Now, Wall Street is starting to weigh in um, on these results and trying to compare them to what we've seen from Pfizer and Moderna. Even though they're not apples to apples, we have to caveat that. Bernstein's Ronnie Gal saying in a note that the AstraZeneca data are positive but appear not to match Pfizer and Moderna's bar, whereas Cowan's Jerome Werber says that Pfizer and BioNTech have taken the lead among vaccine candidates. Now, we're going to have to see how all of this bears out, of course, in those large phase three trials, which are now due to begin next week for the earliest ones. Moderna uh, set to begin on Monday next week if all keeps to plan. So we could be seeing by September or October, depending on how enrollment and those trials go, whether these vaccines work and the earliest signs of broader safety. Melissa? Meg, when you say it's not apples to apples, does it mean, is it because the, the, the mechanism, the platforms are different? Is it because the trial sizes are vastly different? I mean, what's the primary differentiating factor? It's actually just the way that they compared the neutralizing antibody data. So mm. they might have used different assays or different tests. And of course, they had different patients uh, that they were comparing against in terms of people who've recovered from the disease. That's the comparator in these trials. You look at the neutralizing antibodies generated by the vaccine versus those generated by actual exposure uh, to COVID-19 or to the virus, SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and so that was different across the studies. All right. Interesting that the analysts are, are apt to uh, make the comparison. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. Um, vaccine or not, our next guest sees the market flirting with fresh highs. Market researcher Jim Bianco is president of Bianco Research. Um, I thought the, the vaccine was the holy grail to all of this, Jim. Uh, it, I think the holy grail is, is stimulus, either government stimulus or Federal Reserve stimulus. That is what's been pushing this market higher. As far as the vaccine goes, yeah, there's make no mistake that that would be great if we get a vaccine. But I don't think that that's what's been driving this market the last few months, especially since the um, early June highs. You know, when you say the holy grail is stimulus, stimulus is not just I mean, three and a half trillion versus one trillion, which is the divide between Republicans and Democrats right now is a huge divide. So when you when you say the holy grail is stimulus, how much stimulus do we need? Well, let's keep in mind how stimulus is going to work. We've seen this with the government shutdowns, and we've seen this with the debt ceiling fights. If the, uh, if the $600 a week uh, federal uh, unemployment insurance ends July 31st, somewhere around August 1st at 1 a.m., the conversation begins, and somewhere around 4 or 5 a.m., we're going to have a deal. That's at least the way it's gone in the past. So those gaps will be bridged probably not until past the 12th hour, as we've seen, you run into the first or something like that. And that's why I think the market is going to stay very calm about all of this discussion. $2 trillion would be the ideal number. I believe you know anything more than that would be better. And we'll have to see how it works out. What would be bad, which I don't expect, is if we walked away with nothing. But I would really be surprised. And I think a lot of market participants would be surprised by that. Hey, Jim. It's Tim Seymour. Uh, you, the other side of, of your, your story, and I, I, I'm agreeing with you that you don't fight the Fed, you don't fight the liquidity, and, and it sounds like you threw in the towel at some point. I, what's the Fed doing, though? It, it does appear that they're using less balance sheet 
over the last few weeks. Do you think this is uh, uh, just a, a very mild tapering of, of nothing? Um, but to be clear, the correlations we had for stocks were, were, were absolutely you know, one to one or, or, or some multiple of that to the Fed balance sheet growing. Um, the Fed balance sheet has shrunk small. Um, are they changing tact at all? No, the simple answer with the balance sheet is a lot of the dollar swaps and a lot of the non-securities purchases are what's rolling off. If you were to break down the balance sheet and look at how many corporate bonds they're buying, how many ETFs they're buying, how many treasuries and mortgages they're buying, they're still plowing ahead with all of that. It's been some of that other non-security purchase stuff that has been coming down. And as far as it goes with, you know, don't fight the Fed, in the second quarter, about 70 or 80 percent, depending on how you measure it, of all the ETF flows went into stuff that the Fed is buying. Corporate bond ETFs, high yield ETFs, aggregate bond ETFs, not equities. That's one of the rare times that you've seen with ETF flows that the vast amount of money has been flowing into a fixed income asset. And not only that, the fixed income asset that the Federal Reserve is buying. So this whole idea of co-investing with the Fed has been huge, and I don't think it stopped just because the balance sheet is peaked off of some non-securities uh, uh, non uh, swaps that have been uh, rolling off the last couple of weeks. Jim, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Uh, Karen, that figure is staggering. 70 to 80 percent of all ETF flows into what the, the Fed has been buying. Are you, are you in with it? Are you with the Fed? Well, I'm with the Fed to the extent that I own banks, right, because they've definitely been a beneficiary of the Fed buying and healing the um, corporate credit market. And so to the extent that they're there, that's but I but uh, I'm actually short some HYG against that. BK, where would you be? You know, what's interesting about what Jim was talking about is that, you know, a vaccine actually might be bearish for the stock market. Because if you think about it, if we have a vaccine, we no longer need all the stimulus and you have to start pricing in the Fed raising rates. So that to me is kind of on the horizon of what you need to be worried about. Uh, in the meantime, though, listen, you, you want to be as close to the spigot as possible when, when they're printing as much money. You want to be the first person at the printer. So why not buy, you know, buy into the, the corporate debt land? Well, that's the, that's the view if you think that it's a binary trade if you have a vaccine, right? I mean, that, that's assuming that everybody gets a vaccine, that the vaccine is effective right. and doesn't have bad side effects, and right. that people actually go back to their old behavior. And I don't know if that is a foregone conclusion, Dan. Yeah, the, the, listen, these trials are a joke, okay? No one's taking this vaccine anytime in 2020, okay? So if you want to you wanna trade off the announcement of it, have at it. But I'll tell you one thing. It sure felt like the, the Fed was buying large-cap stocks today. And some of you Fast Money viewers may get your, um, your wish if that was the case. Because what did I say a couple months ago, Mel? If they do that, I'm out. Yeah. I remember that. I remember. We've got don't the do tape, it, Dan. Too. But don't, don't do it. it. Don't do it. You're going to hold me to it. Oh, we want you. <laughs> no, coming Come up. Come on, man. We want you. <laughs> Making moves in the oil patch. A Chevron agrees to buy Noble. Is there more consolidation ahead? Plus, calling all lax bros. <laughs> the Premier League is getting back on the field this weekend. What precautions are they taking as coronavirus cases surge? We'll be joined by the league's co-founder for more on that. Stay tuned. And as we head to break, take a look at this. We told you about that SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. It launched just moments ago. Look at that. Much more Fast Money straight ahead.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Chevron announcing today it would buy Noble Energy in a $5 billion all-stock deal, the biggest deal in the energy sector this year. This also comes more than a year after Chevron lost its bid to buy Anadarko Petroleum. Um, Tim, you think there's more consolidation coming? I think there has to be, and I think there are companies like Chevron and EOG and, and, and Conoco that, that have managed, managed their balance sheets very, very well. Look, this, this is a free cash flow accretive deal uh, for Chevron with Noble. I, I think there are other ways to grow in the sector, uh, and it's not organic, and, and I think it's been proven. I, I think there are companies that need balance sheet, and I think there are a handful of players that, that could be who could be strategic and opportunistic in the middle of this. I, I don't think there has to be wholesale. Uh, but I, I also think that if you look at a lot of these guys, they, they've hedged off below uh, $40 you know, Brent. And, and I think there's an ability to actually forecast the cash flows attached to these deals. So th there are a handful of, I would say, very solid balance sheets that, that are actually making money even with oil at these levels. And, and I think the energy sector obviously needs to consolidate. The unfortunate thing about the environment we're in is that there are a lot of energy companies uh, that will be bailed out. And I know that that's great for the people that have those jobs, and I'm not wishing that upon uh, folks who, who are in a difficult place. I'm just telling you that the, the capacity that's been built out is, is certainly been something that's been made vulnerable by these dynamics currently in the market. Karen, you've been looking at the debt of Noble. Right. That was interesting to me when, they saw, when I saw the deal, and, but the stock wasn't up a ton, and I thought... Well, what, I wonder what happened to the, the debt. And if we have, I think we have a bond that matures in 2044, that was a much bigger mover than the stock because now that bond will be, a, assuming the deal closes, a Chevron credit, not a Noble credit. So that's some good news for the energy debt markets, which need it. Yeah. BK? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting what Karen said, you know, on any of these deals and as you're looking at this sector, um, you want to be in the equity, obviously, before the deal comes out. But once the deal comes out, the bonds are the Mets butter place. So, you know, if you're looking to play this, you could probably buy a basket uh, of these oil and gas companies and then sell them as the deal deals come out. That's probably the way that I would do it. I would stay away from natural gas, though. That seems to be a bit challenged. Dan, you're shaking your head violently. Um, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with what BK was <laughs> saying or you're just deciding to shake your head. <laughs> No, I was, you know, listen, I don't think you want to own a basket. I think you want to sell a basket. The XLE <laughs> is rolling over. Crude oil filled in that gap from April back to 40. I think it's, if you don't like the reopening trade, then you don't like oil here. And the fact that oil stocks couldn't go up today with that deal tells you they're going lower. Coming up, United Airlines gearing up for its earnings report tomorrow. Option traders are betting that blue skies are still far away for the airline will explain. Plus, as live sports gradually restart, one lacrosse league co-founder lays out the path forward for the sports industry. More Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a rough ride for the airlines as the coronavirus pandemic has weighed heavily on the travel industry. And options traders are betting on even more turbulence when one name in the space reports earnings tomorrow. Let's get to Mike Coe with all the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So United Airlines is going to be reporting tomorrow after the close. So there will be at least one more trading day of options activity to take a look at. Sometimes you will see the options markets being a little bit contrarian, but that wasn't the case today. The options market right now are implying a move of about 10 percent by the end of the week. That's much higher than the 6.2 percent or so that the stock has averaged over the last eight quarters, although I'll point out the last quarter was a particularly rough one. It fell 10 percent right after they reported and was down close to 18 percent by the end of the week. 
the put activity, four out of the top five most active options were puts. And where we saw a lot of that opening activity was in the month ending 31 strike puts. So buyers of those puts are obviously betting on further weakness for United into the end of the month. And I would point out that despite the fact this stock has fallen considerably since the beginning of the year, the enterprise value isn't down as much as you might think. The debt level in this company has increased. In fact, the enterprise value now about the same as it was in 2017, although I think we can argue that their prospects are not. So that might explain some of the bearish activity we're seeing in the options market right now. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up with live sports battered by the coronavirus pandemic. One professional lacrosse player and league founder lays out the challenges ahead for sports. And tonight on Mad Money, the CEOs of BioReference and Sorrento sit down with Jim Cramer. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time, top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As various sports organizations plan their return during the coronavirus pandemic, the Premier Lacrosse League kicks off their competition this weekend. The league will host a quarantine two-week tournament in Utah, and it starts this Saturday. Joining us now is Paul Rabel, the co-founder of the Premier Lacrosse League, as well as an athlete on one of the teams. Paul, great to speak with you. Great to speak with you as well. Um, much like the NBA is doing in Orlando, there's a, a bubble, there's constant testing, um, there's a quarantine. How difficult was it to, to make that decision to go back and play, even if it's just for two weeks, um, when you weigh the risks and the rewards? What, what was that thinking like? It was a lot of thinking, and there were daily executive stand-ups. There was consulting across all leagues, and we built an external medical committee that advised us, consisted of internal disease doctors and infectious disease experts. And uh, at, the, at, at the forefront, we needed to make sure that the health and safety of the players were right. And then on the outcome, we decided that this quarantine fanless model was an attempt for us to really rescue two big aspects of pro sports as an industry, and that's viewership and sponsorship, foregoing ticket sales and the rest. So for us, you know, getting our labor force back to work and then consulting with other leagues, we were able to be a little bit more nimble as a startup league, having fewer teams, our all-in personnel is 300. We're in the middle of our medical testing. Now I'm here in my hotel room going through the second stage, and uh, we're pretty confident that this is going to be a success. Hey, hey Paul, it's Dan. Um, glad to have you guys back in play. You just mentioned, you know, kind of rescuing live sports. There's a lot of demand for it right now because, for the most part, we just haven't had any. But let's take a step back to, you know, the why, why does the PLL exist? You were obviously in another league. You were dominating. Um, what is it? Was it about the growth of lacrosse or was it something yeah. broader about sports and content? Yeah, hey, Dan. Thanks, uh, and great to see you. It is, it's a combination of both. Lacrosse has these macro elements that have proven its, its continual growth, both internationally and then domestically if you look at youth participation. But for us as business people, we looked at the sports industry as an enterprise sector now. And it used to be more of a vanity play where you'd have billionaire owners come in and invest in something that they care about. Now if you look at sports widely, it's a media enterprise. You have an events business that sells tickets. You have sponsorship. You have merchandise, which has taken off as you look at content and commerce. And then you have youth sports. Each of those five categories are billion-dollar market cap sectors on their own. So you're seeing a lot of strategic capital going in. Then you layer on the last piece, which we're in an attention economy. And the last standing firewall for appointment viewing television is sports. It's the only form of content that we have to watch live, which benefits advertisers and then the end user. So it's a very authentic industry that I think is the most attractive right now 
as you look at this continued emergence in the attention economy. Hey, Paul, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all you're doing for okay. lacrosse. Watch out for uh, watch out for the Hoyas regionally there uh, in Lax. My, my question yeah. is about TV contracts, because if people saw uh, that Whipsticks final uh, and Matt Rambo and how exciting that was, um, you know, they pay a lot of money for it. And I think a lot of people just have to watch lacrosse. Uh, talk about how you see uh, this next kind of round of, of discussions going with networks and, and over the top and online. And, and again, a, a maybe a less conventional uh, sports contract in the media? Yeah, it's a great question. So we're seeing a lot happening all at once between the launch of Peacock, who NBC is our partner, to E Plus and Disney Plus, and then HBO Max, now turned to HBO Go. And you're looking at these yeah. networks, you know, specifically addressing the MVPDs and the shift to the value and the discernment going to the consumer with on demand. Live sports, as I said, last standing firewall for appointment television, which Television's about advertisers. That's how they make money, unless you also offer an OTT product and it's a subscription service. So we're seeing that hybrid rollout and sports now are gonna continue to capture larger media rights deal in a combination of live television viewership, as well as exclusive games behind that network's paywall. So you're gonna see as what we do with NBC, 70% of this tournament that we're showcasing that begins on July 25th and goes through August 9th of our games are on television which is disproportionately valuable for us as a new league versus the NBA that already has an established audience. We need to be on TV. That other 30% is on NBC Sports Gold, so we can drive more revenue back to our network partner. The last piece is social media. So social media, digital, even CMS as a new medium is where a lot of attention is being aggregated. So how are leagues and how are businesses using those platforms to promote, to drive eyeballs to screen? Paul, great stuff. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Paul Rabel, be sure to catch the Premier Lacrosse League tournament. That starts this Saturday on NBC. And later tonight, be sure to tune in for a new series, American Greed, Biggest Cons, where we investigate the latest developments in the most shocking cases of greed. A new episode on the college admissions scandal premieres tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, only on CNBC. Up next, we've got your final trades. Welcome back. We're taking a viewer question. We like to call it Total Request Fast Money. We got a question from Brian in Franklin, Massachusetts. I'm calling on Action Enterprises, symbol AAXN, the global leader in body cameras and tasers. In light of what's happened in America, I'm asking what you think about this company, both in the short and long term. The stock trades today at $92. Need to upgrade the stock recently to a price target of 105 Please let me know your thoughts. And as always, thank you so much. And of course, Axon is formerly known as Taser. Uh, Brian Kelly, what do you tell Brian from Franklin, Massachusetts? <laughs> well, first of all, any other Brian from Massachusetts is okay with me. So he's spot on on this one. You know, if you think about uh, this stock, and like he said, what's going on, you're seeing a lot of people uh, being concerned about self-defense. That's where Taser comes in. Uh, and I think, you know, the stock has already risen quite a bit, but look at how the stock's traded over the last couple of weeks. Every time it's got to $90, it's bounced right up. So that tells me there's some pretty good support there. You've got kind of a psychological tailwind to this. And then secondarily, there's that old trader saw that when stocks get to $90, they usually go right to 100. That's just, it's kind of a magnet at that point in time. So I think all of those combined are actually a pretty good tailwind uh, for Axon, formerly known as Taser.
All right. By the way, keep sending us your questions. Uh, we like to get them, and we'll try and answer them. Time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan, what do you say? Uh, yeah, I do this every time Slack is down in the low 30s here. I like it here. The work from trade, uh, work from home trade works, and this thing is about half the multiple of sales is Zoom, so I like Slack at 33 here. BK, Brian Kelly. You know, I think you stick with momentum and for a trade service now, N-O-W. Chairwoman. Yes. I mean, if you're like me, you sort of, you like what you own. You don't really want to sell it, but you're nervous. S&P puts the volatility indexes as low as it's been since the whole coronavirus thing started. So I'm a buyer of S&P puts. Tim Seymour. Mel, real quick, I think this IBM numbers signal that this company is making a slight change. I think I like IBM based upon that change. Now up 1% after hours. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 o'clock for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.